we are talking about the two natures of Christ, and we started last week talking about the deity of Christ, and today we want to talk about the humanity of Christ, and because uh, the Bible presents Jesus as both fully human and fully divine, and that is very important as we think of our Savior. He needs to be both. Uh, this is not merely uh, some abstract theological uh, philosophizing or theory that we like to discuss uh, because, you know, some people find theology to be very intellectually satisfying. I certainly do. But we have to understand that all theology uh, in, in every detail should always be in order to make us better worshipers of God, to know him and to know Christ and him crucified. And so growing in our understanding is important. Um, you know, I, I know it, it's been said to me sometimes over the years, you know, well, what, but what about just having a childlike faith? Isn't that all that God requires of us? Absolutely, we should have a childlike faith in the sense that we come to Christ like children. That is, in humility and in simplicity, as a child would depend on his parents. But that's different from having a childish faith. A childlike faith, you never really uh, grow out of your dependency, your trust. A childish faith is one where we, we just don't grow or mature. And maybe we're 30 years in as a Christian and we're kind of still in diapers in a sense. Um, we are always dependent on the Lord, but we need to grow in our understanding, in grace and knowledge. And so, yes, the blind man in John 9 said, all I know is once I was lost and now I am saved. That's a good confession when you're when you first come to Christ. And that's how the blind man had. But we need to continue to grow and continue to learn because as we see, there's a lot to knowing Christ and him crucified and including things like this, the, the two natures of Christ. So last week we talked about the, huma- or the, the deity of Christ. Uh, what does the Bible say? Why is it necessary? Um, what does history teach us? Uh, we can approach it the same way now. The humanity of Christ. What does the Bible say regarding the humanity of Christ? And then let's think about uh, why it is necessary. Um, is Jesus truly human? Well, that would be the right answer. Very good. See, so far, it's the easy, easy class. But, but, but uh, where, where in the Bible do we find him uh, revealed as being truly human? So last week we looked at you know, the Bible where he's revealed as, as being divine. We, and we thought about some very good passages. John 1, 1 and verse 14. Uh, Isaiah and all those passages that speak of, I will not share my glory with somebody else. And that's what Yahweh says. And then you have Jesus saying the same thing in John 17. Uh, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world was. So he's clearly attributing everything that Yahweh did to himself in the Old Testament to him now in the New Covenant. But where in the Bible do we find Jesus revealed as human? Yes, Krista. 
When he was born, he was born. He was born. That's very important. Now, of course, it was uh, miraculous in the sense of his conception. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but he was born of a woman. That is, he had an umbilical cord. Uh, He was brought to full term. He was born, uh, as Rod Rosenblatt likes to say, blood, placenta, and all. So he was truly human. Now, on that point, let's just stop there for a second. What about those Christmas hymns? The one, uh, Away in a Manger. And we say, oh, but I like Away in a Manger. Why is he talking about Away in a Manger? Away in a manger. <laughs> the little Lord Jesus. The cattle are low. The little Lord. No crying he makes. Who here has seen a baby never cry? <laughs> now that's important. And you might say, big deal. But if you sing that enough times, you begin to think of Jesus as being something other than Human. And that's not good. That's what we want to talk about. He was born, and just because a baby cries doesn't mean it's sinful. It cries because it has no ability to express himself in words or language. And that was Jesus. Jesus was fully human. He didn't come out quoting Isaiah. He had to learn the scriptures. And this is very important for us to understand because if we deny that, we deny his humanity. And I think, you know, those of us who grew up evangelical or came out of evangelical circles where we were so focused on defending the divinity of Christ against Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, who, as we pointed out last week, are the theological grandkids of Arius, that sometimes we have done disservice to the humanity of Christ. And it doesn't help when we sing songs like Away in a Manger. Or another one, one of my favorites, I love it, and we sing it every, every uh, Christmas Eve, but we do not sing that one stanza in Silent Night. I love Silent Night, but there's a stanza there where it says, uh, Radiant beams from thy holy face. If you see radiant beams coming out of a baby that is born, I mean, I don't think that baby is human. I think it's an alien. It would be freaky. In fact, it's freaky to think of a baby with radiant beams coming out of its uh, holy face. Uh, There is no reason for us to think that there were radiant beams around Jesus, that there was a halo around his head. He He was human, completely human. We don't like that because it seems too ordinary. We want it to look like the stuff you see at the Sistine Chapel. We want it to look like Renaissance art. We want it to look, uh, you know, fairy taleish. Uh, but Christ was really human. So yes, he was born. That's that's a big one. Where where else? Think of other passages, Don. Okay. Right here, Hebrews two. Verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. And then we get into why he was. So he had to partake of flesh and blood, okay? 
Where else, though? Uh, what else? He was born, what else? He had to grow in wisdom and stature, just as a child grows. He had to grow. Again, he did not come out speaking Aramaic. He had to learn Aramaic. Now, that doesn't mean that he wasn't fully divine. It means he was fully human, too. In his humanity, he is omniscient. I mean, in his divinity, he is omniscient. In his humanity, he is limited in his understanding. In his, in his divinity, he is omnipresent. Here right now, in his divinity, in his humanity, he can only be in one place at one time. In his divinity, he is infinite. In his humanity, he is finite. He, in his divinity, he is immense, filling all things in the universe. In his humanity, as a baby, he was filling his diapers. Truly human. And I think sometimes there's a tendency for us to say, don't talk about our Lord that way. That he's filling his diaper. That's blasphemous. No, it is not blasphemous. It's not sinful to fill your diapers. And if you don't have a Savior who filled his diapers, who's truly human, then you don't have a Savior at all. You need to have, we all need to have a Savior who partook of the same things that we did. Fully human. So, he was born. He had to grow in stature. What else comes to mind, Yolanda? He died. He's human. There was a point where his heart stopped beating. What else? There's one in Luke and one in Matthew. Yeah, absolutely. He had a, he had a family tree, family history. What, think of other things that he did in his life that would tell us he was human. I'm seeing hands go up, yeah. He had to eat. He had to eat. We all have to eat, right? If we don't eat after a while, we become homicidal, right? I do. Uh, and Jesus had to eat. He ate. He got tired. He slept. Okay, these are all... Th- Why are those things in the Gospels? They're not there as just filling up information, they are there to tell you he is truly human. Now, why is it so important that the Christ was fully human? And what does that mean to be fully human, by the way? What does that mean? How many parts are there to being human? Yeah, body and soul. Soul is synonymous with spirit. And you can go all throughout the scriptures and find where those two are used uh, interchangeably. I know that Paul, in, at the end of was it 1 Thessalonians, says, May God sanctify you, body, soul, and spirit. But he's using soul and spirit in uh, a way that's basically like a tautology on purpose, the same way he would say psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's just for emphasis. Uh, but soul and spirit are used interchangeably all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, both in their Hebrew words and their Greek words. So you are, let's say, soul or spirit and body. You're two parts. Everybody is two parts. Your body is who you are apart from your soul. 
It's your, it's your, it's your material being. Your soul is who you are apart from your body. You need both to be human. You need both to be alive. Death is the separation of these, of body and soul. When, when somebody dies or expires, the soul departs the body. As Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And his body was still on the cross. And it was buried in the tomb. And the reason why that's so disturbing, death, is because that is that, is that person. That's, that's that person's body. We can't say, well, that person departed, and that's just a carcass or a shell. That is one of the two parts that makes up a person. We are composite, body and soul. And the resurrection is the soul being reunited with a glorified body. So Jesus had to be made both. Why? Why, Angela? Okay, uh, why? Why does God require it? Exactly, exactly. So if we can uh, look at the Heidelberg Catechism, it, 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 uh, I'm going to steal one of these from you. Um, there's one right behind you. I think I just took yours, Dan, I'm sorry. Um, how's that for a shepherd, right? Stealing from the sheep. Uh, if we look in the Heidelberg Catechism, it, as we looked last week, uh, and it expresses so well why Christ, our mediator, needed to be fully divine, it also tells us exactly what Angela rightly said, that the Christ, our mediator, needed to be fully human. So if we go back to, um, go, back to go to page 12 in the back of the Psalter hymnal, you're there at Lord's Day 5, and it's talking about how we are made right with God. Can we pay this debt ourselves? Certainly not. Can any creature, any at all, pay this debt for us? Uh, question 14, no, to begin with, God will not punish another creature for man's guilt. Besides, no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal anger against sin and release others from it. Question 15, what kind of mediator and deliverer should we look for then? Answer, he must be truly human. Okay, and then notice uh, some of the references that are given and truly righteous, yet more powerful than in all creatures. That is, he must also be true God. Okay, now it explains. Question 16, Lord's Day 6. Why must he be truly human and truly righteous? And this is what Angelo was summarizing for us. God's justice demands it. Man has sinned. Man must pay for his sin, but a sinner cannot pay for others. Question 17, why must he also be true God? Answer, so that by the power of his divinity, he might bear the weight of God's anger in his humanity and earn for us and restore to us righteousness and life. Question 18, and who is this mediator? True God, and at the same time, truly human and truly righteous. Answer, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us to set us completely free and to make us right with God. Question 16 is the one that really hits it on the humanity. He needs to assume our nature. He needs to be truly human. So, in other words, God could not have saved us by 
sending the Son to be incarnate with some other nature. In other words, God could not have saved us by making the Son of God a dog or a pig. And we say, well, God can do anything. Well, the fact that God is omnipotent doesn't mean that God can just do anything we think of. Because God cannot deny himself. There are some things God cannot do. God cannot lie. God cannot die. God cannot uh, cease to exist. God cannot go against his word. God cannot fail his promises. There are many things that God cannot do. That doesn't mean that he is uh, finite. It means that he is perfectly consistent with his holy nature. And his holy nature, part of that is his justice. And so the, the justice of God requires that the same human nature that, that sinned against God must make satisfaction for sins. And so that's why the Son of God had to assume real human nature, uh, body and soul. Now, this gets to be difficult, right? Because as we, as we think of uh, being human, you're these two parts, okay? Body, body and soul, these two parts. And yet, Christ is, he's this, he's totally human, but then he's also divine, which, you know, has no bounds, of course. The bounds of his divinity uh, are boundless. His divinity exceeds the boundaries of his humanity. And this is hard for us finite people with finite minds to, to grasp, right? It's like the Trinity. How, how can that be? How can God be three persons and one God? Correct answer? I don't know. Right, thank you, Yolanda. That is the correct answer. I don't know. And we better be careful that we try to explain it because we'll probably end up articulating an ancient heresy, as we saw last week. Well, maybe it's just like, oh, don't do it, don't do it, stop, <laughs> hit the brakes. You can't explain it. If we say, well, God is three in one. He is uh, like water. And water can be a solid it can be a liquid, it can be a gas. Right, 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 five in your buddy. Yeah, yeah. That's called modalism. That's an ancient heresy that was condemned. And it's basically saying that God is uh, uh, three persons only in the sense that he puts on different masks. And it's a, it's a heresy. It's called Unitarianism today. Uh, also, one is Pentecostalism, so you, you don't want that one. Next one. Well, maybe God is like an apple. Don't do it. Don't do it. Same thing. Washing machine, three cycles. Nope. <laughs> Don't do it. Leave it. Leave it. Walk away. Walk away. It's okay to say, I don't know, it's a mystery. It's not a contradiction. It's just a mystery. It's something that uh, is true because it's revealed, but it's something that my finite mind cannot fully comprehend. And this, it, So that's a mystical union. The oneness of God and yet his three persons. One in essence, three in person. Another mystical union. There's three mystical unions in the Bible. The second mystical union is this. How is it that Christ can be fully divine and fully human? 
And there's been different ways to try to explain that. Uh, one of the ways was uh, by a guy named Apollinarius. So last week, uh, I introduced you to one of, the, one of the foes of the Christian faith, Arius. I always used to talk about, you know, one day having trading cards, you know, like baseball cards. And you had the, you know, the heroes, you know, like Athanasius, Irenaeus, Augustine. And you had, you know, the, the bad guys, you know, like Arius and Pelagius. And then this guy, Apollinarius. Now, Apollinarius, was a, he, wasn't, he wasn't that bad in the sense that, only in the sense that uh, he was the bishop of uh, Laodicea in Smyrna. He was orthodox in most things. He was a friend of Athanasius. Remember, Athanasius was the guy who championed the cause, the orthodox cause, at the Council of Nicaea. And he was, the, he was just a stud. Every time you read stuff by Athanasius, you're just like, you know, he just brought it against Arius and defended orthodoxy and helped us get what we have today in the Nicene Creed. Apollinarius was there and was a friend of Athanasius and was uh, very active in combating Arianism. Athanasius, or uh, Ar- Apollinarius, all these A's, Apollinarius believed fully in the divinity of Christ. And he affirmed the humanity of Christ. The problem was in his articulation. And he said that, how is it that the divine, the logos, as it's called, in John 1, logos is the Greek word for word. Because remember, John 1 says, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word and the Word became and dwelt among us, and we saw him. Uh, how is it that the, that the Logos, the Word, became flesh? Now, he fully believed, Apollinarius, that is, there's his name. I might be misspelling this. I think that's right. You can Google it later. Uh, and he lives 300s. He lives 300s. Remember, the Council of Nicaea is in 325. He's 4th century. Uh, the problem with Apollinarius was, was his understanding of how the divinity assumed the humanity. Because, you see, before... He affirmed that Christ had a body, a real body, because before Apollinarius, there was another heresy. Heresy is a false teaching condemned by the church known as docetism. And this was in the early church. In fact, comes from the, actually comes from a Greek word, dekeo, which means to seem. And docetism essentially taught that well, Christ was fully human. He only seemed, I mean, fully God, but he only seemed to be human. Because, uh, and this came from a, a form of uh, Platonism, which later grew into Gnosticism. And basically it says that things that are immaterial and spirit are good, 
and things that are material and physical are bad, right? Remember Plato? You know, that's what he taught, and he said that you know, he thought that the body was just this dead carcass that you had to lug around, you know, that constantly has to eat, and you had to scratch yourself, you had to go to the bathroom, and you get sick, and, you know, and then when the, when the, uh, the soul escapes the prison house, the body, it flies away to uh, essentially eternal bliss. Uh, that grew into different kinds of teachings about Christ. So, for example, in 1 John, when John says, that which we have seen and handled, we declare to you, he's combating docetism. He's saying, we have ate with him. We, have, we, have, we saw him die. He's human. He's combating docetism. Apollinarius did not like docetism. He affirmed that Jesus had a real body. What he struggled to understand, as we all do, was how the divinity could take up residence with humanity. And it wasn't because he was a Platonist, believing that everything that's material is good and things that are immaterial are good and things that are material are bad. But rather what he did is he, he, he thought, well, maybe it's that the Logos... He takes up residence in the body, and that's essentially what became Christ's soul. So since your soul is your animate being, that's what your soul is. Your soul is immaterial. It's not you know, a gassy bubble that you know, pops out of your body one day and then flies off into heaven. Okay? It's immaterial. But Apollinarius envisioned, well, maybe it's that the Logos, the divine Son, who is eternal, who is uh, infinite, he comes and he takes up residence in a real body, flesh and blood. But, uh, but Christ, that doesn't mean Christ had a rational soul like we do, the mind. The Bible uses different words for soul. The heart, the mind, the spirit. These aren't like different things that you divide up. It's all talking about the same thing. It's, it's, it's who you are apart from your body. Now, what's, what, what's wrong with that picture? The first time I heard that, I actually thought about this when I was an early Christian, before I ever heard of Apollinarius, as I was struggling to understand uh, the two natures. And I thought, well, maybe it's that the eternal Son of God just, you know, uh, took up residence in a glove. And you know why I thought about that? Because I had a, I had a pastor in my former religion uh, who uh, used this as an example. So he said that it, it was like a glove. And God the Son took up residence in the glove. He put a glove on in his sermon and moved it around and said, and that's how... Christ, you know, he took on our nature. What's wrong with that? And why should we care? Huh? He's not fully human. He's not fully human. Because if he doesn't have a human soul, he can't redeem human souls. And so the teaching of Apollinarius, who was brilliant, by the way, an accomplished bishop. And this just goes to show that even those who are orthodox can begin 
to embrace false teaching. And if they're not turned back, if they're not corrected, it can spread and it can be something other than Christianity. And this time Satan was a little more crafty. You know, with Arius, it was a little more blatant. Well, the sun wasn't, had no beginning. It wasn't eternal. Well, they, get, you know, they, they combat that at the Council of Nicaea. Well, what about Apollinarius? It comes only a little bit later after uh, the Council of Nicaea. It comes in 381. At the second ecumenical council at Constantinople. So remember, ecumenical council means east and west. There hasn't been an ecumenical council since 1054 when east and west split. And we'll talk about that sometime later. The first ecumenical council, 325 at Nicaea. Anybody know where Nicaea is located today? It's good to know these things. Nobody? Any idea? Did I hear someone say Turkey? You'll say Turkey. You're right. Where is Constantinople located today? Because you can fly in there today. Istanbul. What does that tell you? It was conquered by Muslims. Yeah. It was conquered by Muslims. The largest Christian church ever built, the Hagia Sophia, is a big mosque and has been for a long time. Uh, Constantinople was named after Constantine. You know, just like the Trump Hotel is named after Trump. Uh, and Constantine named it uh, after himself. But there was a second ecumenical council there where, again, the church comes together by delegation to say, okay, hold on, is this teaching orthodox or not? Uh, they ultimately, I had all these great quotes in my, in my notes, but they ultimately uh, condemn it. And there was one line that's worth remembering um, that was said, and uh, it was by these guys, these three guys. I should just write it down because I, I can remember this much at least. These three guys that you got to love. They're called the Cappadocian Fathers. So you guys are getting a little ancient history here today, but it's helpful to know because as you hear people articulating Christ, even in modern day, like I told you how we see uh, Arius, his teachings coming out, uh, with the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, you can often find other ancient heresies coming out today. And that's why it's so important that we stay close to ancient creeds and then, of course, the confessions of the Reformation. But uh, the Cappadocian Fathers, if you don't remember this, that's fine. Um, it won't be on the test. But, uh, no, but it's just, uh, the, I love these guys. because I, they, would be my, they would be my baseball cards for the heroes, you know. I'll trade you one Cappadocian father for your Augustine. And uh, the Cappadocian fathers are three. The way I remember it is two Gregs and a Basil. Gregory of Nyssa. Gregory of Nazianzus. He's my favorite just because it's fun to say that. And Basil the Great. All three of these guys defended uh, Orthodox Christology over and against Apollinarius. So, to one, I don't remember if it's one P or two Ps. And this is at the Second Ecumenical Council, 
in 381 at Constantinople. And what these guys, I forget who it was of the three, it was, I think it was one of the Gregs, that said, that which the Son did not assume, he cannot redeem. If the Son doesn't become fully human, possessing a rational soul, as God had made Adam in the beginning, when he gave life to Adam's body, and it's called soul or spirit, uh, suke, soul, or uh, pneuma, spirit, uh, in the Greek. It's interchangeable. Uh, if, Christ did not assume, if the Son did not assume that, he cannot redeem that. And we should also say, as was pointed out to, that if he didn't assume a full body, an ordinary body, he cannot redeem ordinary humans. And this is why we need to be concerned that when we think of Jesus, that you think of him not as floating, you know, two feet above the ground. Yes, he did incredible signs and wonders, like walk on the water or change water into wine, my personal favorite, uh, or, uh, you know, producing uh, uh, bread for uh, 5,000 people, but we have to remember that he does those things not because that's just what he did being hum- or being divine, but because he was actually giving special revelation, like a little sermon that was meant to instruct us and to demonstrate that he is the Christ. Because remember, he, it was with many signs and wonders that the Christ came. But otherwise, apart from him performing those signs as special revelation, he is, in his humanity anyway, fully human, and that means fully ordinary. Dependent on food as an adult, just as he was dependent on his mother in her womb. Dependent upon getting sleep. Remember when he was asleep in the boat during the, uh, the storm. Because he's tired talking to all those people and tired uh, preaching and tired going around. He's so tired that he can sleep even in a storm. Uh, He's an ordinary human. And that is what made his sign when he gets up and he rebukes the sea and the wind and it stops. That's what made it so freaky to the disciples. Because on the one hand, he's so ordinary. And yet, on the other hand, he he performs these signs that are so extraordinary. And we have to keep in mind that uh, unlike the pictures of Jesus, you know, that we shouldn't imbibe in or create, uh, he isn't isn't glowing. He He doesn't have some sort of extraterrestrial look. He is fully human with a body and a soul. For if he didn't assume those things, he cannot redeem those things. The good news is, is that he did. And, that, and not only that, but that he, he can relate to me. He can relate to me. You ever thought about that? That the Lord Jesus Christ knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be tired. He knows what it's like to be stressed out. He knows what it's like to be scared. Feeling stress and feeling fear and feeling anxiety isn't in itself sinful. But there are many places in the Gospels where he says, my soul is troubled even unto death. 
It's what we do with that fear and that, uh, that stress and that anxiety. If we begin to act as if God does not exist, then we begin to sin. And thankfully, though we do that, we have one who didn't. We have one who did all things perfectly and yet can relate to us and is still to this day, loved ones, still to this day with a human body, in a human body, with body and soul, fully human, glorified, but fully human and will forever be human. Otherwise, we have no mediator. We have no leader of the new humanity. We have no way of seeing God. We have no way of uh, really coming to God apart from the one to whom we are united, who is both God and man. Any questions? Yeah, John. Well, he does it in the power of the Spirit, absolutely. He does it in the power of the Spirit, but we have to remember that the same power that the Spirit has is the same power that the Son has. And they all work, and all things that God does are always done in concert. So, for example, when God created the, God created the heavens and the earth, it's not merely the Father doing that. So am I. Yeah, so am I. Yeah, the same thing. That, that, right. Well, emptying himself there doesn't mean that he ceases to become divine. Yeah, it's that, he, it's that he, he emptied himself in terms of his status and his, his uh, insignia, if you will. It's like a general laying aside all of his status, um, yet he is still fully divine. Yes, he does all things in the power of the Spirit, but what I'm trying to say is that the Spirit never does anything, the Holy Spirit never does anything apart from the Son or the Father. And the Son doesn't do anything apart from the Spirit and the Father. So what I was trying to say is that like in creation, the Father speaks through the Son in the power of the Spirit. Uh, redemption is Father, Son, Spirit. So even the signs that the Son does, it's not as if the, the divinity of the Son was on pause or totally inactive. It's impossible for God to have that kind of disruption within himself. And again, that's mystery. But uh, doing things in the power of the Spirit is still done in, in tandem with uh, the power of the sun. Yeah. There was another, Tom, you had a question? Okay, okay. Yes, Angela. Maybe just one more and then I'll stick around. Right, trying to understand. Yeah, that's a great question. The question is, you know, because of those mysterious unions, they're difficult to understand. Trinity, you know, have there been heresies? Have there been disruptions in the church? Absolutely. In fact, that's also what led to the, the disruption between East and West was understanding, uh, like we'll get into later, that there's that part of the Nicene Creed where we, called the Filioque Clause, where we say that the, son, that the Spirit proceeded from the Father and the Son. Because, again, it's always Father, Son, Holy Spirit working in tandem. And uh, that ended up becoming a split 
I think mainly because the East was upset that the West did it unilaterally, but there were also some uh, theological differences lying underneath. And so, yeah, the truth is, and that's why we have to be careful. And that's why we have to go back to what do we know about the Scriptures? What have we confessed? But boy, if you try to figure out the Trinity on your own, yeah, or the two, or the two natures of Christ on your own, with just you and your Bible... I can almost guarantee you, you're going, to, you're going to come up with some heresy that has already been invented in history uh, because we can't just figure these things out apart from the church. We have to, we have to uh, continue with the church through the ministry also that God has provided to his church. And that's, that's one of the reasons why we have uh, creeds and confessions. I've got to stop there before the, the kids release the Kraken and... Uh, And I'll stick around for if you have any questions. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our time of instruction. We pray, Father, that these things would only cause us to uh, delight in Christ more and humble ourselves before him in all his glory, Uh, the one who gave himself for us, the one who assumed our own nature, who uh, partook of the very things that we do in our weaknesses uh, as those made with body and soul. And we thank you for... Uh, Him who continues with body and soul forever and ever. We look forward to seeing him. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.